It's everything Queensland footy. Good ball football from the Brisbane Lions. That's a big one for the Suns. This is Northern Exposure. Hola. Hola. Gatheround is, is done. We've finished five rounds of the 2023 AFL season and myself, Nick Davis and Jack Fulham. Well, we've just had it up to here with our tipping. It's stuffed. It's ruined. Can't predict the ladder. Who would have thought that the Saints and the Dons were on top of the ladder after five rounds, Jack Fulham? I, I, I don't like this season. I was really excited and I love footies back, but the season is annoying me already. Yeah, real Stranger Things vibe to the start of this season, especially with St Kilda and Essendon being the top two. Like, if you told me that at the start of the year, I just... Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done. I would have been flabbergasted, yeah. that's for sure. But uh, great round of footy and gather round. Look, we will give South Australia credit. They did do it well. Um, yeah, they nailed it, didn't they? The city was just absolutely pumping across the four days. Even the game out at Mount Barker, we took the piss out of it. We thought it might be a Field of Dreams vibe. We did. But the players love playing out there. The facility <laughs> looked fantastic. It was, it was well presented and... You know, I really liked it. Um, I will eat my words on Mount Barker. So well done to South Australia. They uh, And quite rightly and quite deservedly, they've been locked in for another three years. Yeah, I love that the call was actually made like pretty much halfway through the round, knowing that it was mm. uh, probably coming anyway. They just, oh, hey, how good's the first couple of days gone? Yep, great. All right, let's make the announcement mm. now. But also that uh, that upfront money that South Australia paid probably also really helped get that cause along too. Absolutely. Um yeah, you know, just quickly before we get into the Suns and the Lions, I've got to say, for Gil McLaughlin, what an incredible legacy that that man will live, uh, leave of spreading the game around Australia. Grand finals in Brisbane, grand final in Perth, gather round in South Australia, you know, a huge marquee event for the state of South Australia, potentially a team in Tassie by the time he leaves office. Uh, I don't think anyone has actually done more for the expansion of Australian football than Gil McLaughlin has. I'd have to agree. And the best part about that is that he had to kind of make half of that up on the fly. Yeah. You know, the plan to take to take grand finals into other states and, you know, half seasons uh, away from Victoria, that that was – he had to come up with that. That, that was you – know, his hand was forced, but it may – you know, we use the word pivot so much the past three years, mm. probably maxed out, but – he did really well with his administration to make that happen. And you're right, finally. Um, mm. Yeah, we get to see, well, if we're looking back at his legacy, it's a massive job for whoever comes in next. But yeah, Gil's done a fantastic job. He absolutely has. And not to mention the continued support and real defense of both GWS and the Gold Coast Suns. He's been their number one supporter, I guess, from day one. Uh, anytime talk comes up in the media about moving the Suns or moving the GWS and how much it's costing him. He's the first one to jump in and defend and really hammer home that the AFL won't be abandoning either market. And uh, well done to Gil. It's just another, yeah. just the cherry on top of his legacy and yeah, a fantastic weekend to footy. The good thing is we got to see uh, both our Queensland teams playing at the, well, uh, not at Adelaide Oval, but at a few of the newer AFL venues and um, we'll start with Friday night and Ooh. only the third time ever that the Gold Coast Suns have played on a Friday and unfortunately they keep their nil on three record nice and intact because well we were up and about when we checked it about driving up to the sunny coast that yeah they're winning good on the Suns they've really turned it on and Jack it was a good game of football but when the game was needed to be won Frio kicked seven of the last nine the Suns responded in little patches but when Frio needed to lift, they did, and 
uh, the Suns just couldn't go with them. That's correct. It's going to be hugely disappointing for the Suns because they dominated large chunks of that game. And yeah, it was a nice, free-flowing, high-scoring game. Yeah, contrary to what we thought the game would be, we thought it'd be quite a, a stagnant, almost low-scoring game. The Suns, across the first three quarters, they played you know some tremendous footy. Uh, Tuke Miller, I thought he had his best game of the season. Noah Anderson as well. Um, even though he didn't have, even though he didn't pad the stat sheet, I thought Mabwa Chol was a a good inclusion. Even though he only kicked the one goal, um, gave them a bit more of a mobile target up forward. the The elephant in the room at the moment for the Suns is Ben King. Um, he kicked two goals, had the four touches. He just looks a fair fair way away at the moment and it's it's the hard one with Ben King it's like do you do you put him in the twos do you you know you're right the risk it's, t- it's a tough call torturing his confidence and dropping him because he just yeah he looks devoid of confidence at the moment and obviously the physical tools are there but yeah the, that confidence and that faith in his body just doesn't seem to be there yet, and and maybe a, a nice little refresher in the twos wouldn't go astray. It's a, it's a big call, but I think it's it's a correct call, and it also makes you have a look at how the Oops. Suns forward line is set up because you know they were so excited to get King back in after that injury last year. The Suns they didn't have like maybe Ochol did play, I guess, I guess that key forward role, but it, it, it was a two punch combo with um, Big Leviticus with the Smalls running off him. So now that the fo- forward line is a lot more focused on a singular forward. Yeah. But you're right. Is, is that too much pressure on a returning, uh, a returning big who, as we know, um, when you're that build, when you're coming back from an injury like that, uh, you're not physically ready. And mm. unlike maybe Eric Hipwood, who we've made the comparison to coming back from a similar injury, he had other, you no know, other key forwards around him that he could probably just push the load off to. So mm. I, I don't hate it, but we spoke, look, we spoke last week about the Suns, you know, playing, players for a couple a couple of games, then dropping them and rotating them. And mm-hmm. uh, does that go against sticking strong? Look, I think it does. He's had five games to start the season. And it might even be good for him to have a week off, maybe a week in the twos, and then come back for another solid stretch in at AFL level because the I don't think the performances have got any better from Ben King. And yeah, I would say he kicked two goals, but he was soundly beaten on Friday night. But... The, the other part of the Suns that were soundly beaten is they're, they're small defenders. And we talk about that as, as being an area of strength for them. they got Will Powell down there. Lockie Weller runs off a half-back flank, um, you know, between Charlie Ballard and, and Sam Collins. You know, they, they have enough talent in their back six, but um, the Frio small forwards just dominated the game. So you had uh, Michael Walters kick 4-1, um, Lockie Schultz uh, 3-2, Jai Amos 3-2, they, they ran a mark, and then not to mention Luke Jackson going forward and kicking a couple. The Suns just couldn't stop them, especially in that second half when Freo got a bit of a roll on. Um, all- yeah, they looked disorganised with that footy coming in when Freo had a bit of momentum. They did, and, and maybe like the, the smaller suburban ground, you know, the footy floating around in the breeze a little bit more, you know, made it hard for the intercept defender, especially Charlie Ballard and Sam Collins. They didn't actually see too many intercept marks on Friday night. Uh, made it maybe a little bit harder for them and, and favoured the small forwards, the ball coming to ground a little bit more. So it's uh, just another one that's just, it's bitterly disappointing. And the Suns had their chances. Like you look at Jack Lukosius, 1-4. He had a few golden opportunities to, um, you know, to put 
to put score probe pressure on Frio and just didn't capitalise. And we look at Jack Lukosius and we go, he's possibly the best field kick in the AFL, but for some reason, he's, he's goal kicking. It just, yeah, it just leaves, you know, something to be desired. So another disappointing week for the Suns. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating to watch just knowing when it's, when the Suns really needed him there, I guess. And it's, you have a wayward day, but you know, the best forwards, as I said, they, they, they stood up for Fremantle. They, they weren't wayward. As I said, Walters started to put three or four through. So, yeah, you, now as the Suns sit one and four after five rounds, they've got North Melbourne this weekend. We're, we're, back, in, we're back in the doldrums. Though. We're back in all too familiar position. And yeah. the, the next four games coming up, I was reading Damien Barrett this morning, three of the next four Need to be won. They got uh, coming up as well. They got Richmond and um, just going for another, uh, yeah, another couple of winnable games. But again, I, I still yeah, you see moments of fight. But I, I'm gonna I, I want to I deliberately come into this today going I, I want to stay away from Stewie Jew. It's, it's not the time to talk yeah. about Stewie Jew. We've we've already everything about Stewie Jew that needs to be said has been said. It's it, it's on. Uh, it's on the players here. We can't have the, the best six players standing up every week and just it, it falling apart at the bottom. So, yeah. If it's okay, Jack, I don't want to talk about the Gold Coast Suns anymore. Is that okay? You know what? It's just, I don't want to cry on a Monday. I don't want to cry on a Monday. So <laughs> yeah. let's move on to the Brisbane Lions. Let's not bum everyone else out. The Brisbane Lions, on the other hand, the did exactly what they needed to do. Oh, yes. Um, the house, <laughs> the, the field with... Uh, Domain the Hotondo houses in the background. It's a lot of those very similar rooftops you can see over the um over the right hand side of the screen. I'm like, mm, yeah, most towns in Australia. But anyway, no Mount Parker held up. Big breeze as well. Yep, big breeze. I love a good breeze in a game of footy. Just makes it a little bit more interesting that, having a, a five or six goal breeze blowing down one end. I I, I think it adds a lot to a game and it it makes tactics a little bit different. Yeah, teams have to adjust the way they play. I think it's a nice little challenge to have. Yeah, I'd like to actually just see, you know, like they they mount, you know, 50 leaf blowers in the roof of the MCG and <laughs> so we can just have a breeze going down one end. But, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, yeah, run we'll tra- see. Yeah, run uh, training in a wind tunnel. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, or maybe even just cutting a big hole in the side of the MCG so a breeze can, like, come in and, and actually affect ground level. That'd be great. Do you remember? How did it? Did it- in the those seasons of when they took down the original Pontus stand, do you remember much breeze being in there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and we see it with the Adelaide Oval where there's usually a breeze that favours one end of the ground, um, usually comes in that open end and, and favours the, the closed end of the horseshoe. Hmm. Hmm. Um, yeah, bring back the breeze. Yeah, we, we love the breeze. But Mount Barker looked like a fantastic set up there they had about seven thousand in the house at mount barker it looked looked wonderful the ground was in you know fantastic nick i've heard from a few of the lions players that they just really love the event and um long sleeves were out there it was a it was a little bit frosty apparently when the sun came out it was roasting hot and then as soon as it went behind a cloud you would be reaching for your winter coat and yeah the long sleeves were out in force lincoln mccarthy um was the first line to go and get changed into the long sleeves, which I find peculiar because Lincoln McCarthy is a South Australian. If someone should be ready for those conditions, it should be Lincoln McCarthy. But 
you know what? We'll we'll give him a pass mark because I love watching players wear long sleeves. I think there is it's not fa- enough it's long sleeves. Fantastic to see. It is, yeah. Um, so no, great great performance and great to see Joe Danaher and Eric Hipwood really put the lines on their back and and both of them start, albeit against the North Melbourne defence that has more leaks than the Iraqi Navy, but. You, you can only beat who's in front of you, and it was great to see, especially Joe put together a great game, and, and both of them marked the footy with a, a lot of authority, and that that's going to serve their confidence well going forward. And also to your point, in tough conditions, you know, we saw Joe taking marks up the ground. We saw what happens when you open up the forward line for Eric Hipwood. I think he just struggles a little bit more when the forward line's a little bit you know, too compact. As soon as you get out over the back, oh, yeah, he's quick, he's fit. He can run rings around an opponent one-on-one. So, yeah, it, pl- it played to his strength rather than putting him in that sort of tougher, you know, one-on-one, you know, very predictable entry. So, you'll have to see that. And it, look, that's what both of those players desperately needed. And it, it, right, it doesn't matter who the opposition is. They both needed bags. It's as simple as that. And I saw Joey, uh, Joey pushing up the ground. So uh, I was very happy with what I saw from those players. Incredible. And I, I want to um, give a big pat on the back to Harris Andrews as well. Because we remember he got tailed up in the first game of the season by Charlie Dixon. 10 intercept marks. That was a game high on the weekend. So uh, he's got his swagger back down back. And you know uh, he's growing in stature as the Lions co-captain and uh, it's just the ultimate confidence booster game. Everyone would have needed that. It's a road win. It gets them back into the positive for and against. So now the Lions can set you know, a couple of hiccups, but now they can set up that season. As we spoke about last week, they just needed to carry on doing what they did against um, against Collingwood. And they didn't. It was, it was pressure. Uh, they worried the kangaroos out of ball and they were able to get it over the back. They, it's, it's, those, it's a thing you see a good team do to a side that's struggling when they just are running into the forward line in waves, when they can really start raffling goals, but they had the weight of numbers there. They ran the kangaroos off their feet. So it's exactly what needed to happen. And it, it gave me a lot of hope going forward. I must say, one of the things I'm really enjoying about this season is where you're seeing teams that, look, they're getting blown out of the water, but they're... So I reckon over the last few years, we've seen a lot of games where one team has clearly been better than the other, but the team that wins scores 90-odd and the team that gets beaten and is nowhere near it scores maybe 40 or 50. I feel like this year we're seeing a lot of 130s, 140s being scored, but the team that gets beaten scores 70 or 80, like on the weekend. You saw the Geelong versus West Coast game where... Geelong scored, you know, one forty odd, and the Eagles still scored eighty nine. So that yeah. poorer teams are still scoring, and and we're seeing a bit more free flowing football. And I'm not sure if that's a shift in the the mentality of, you know, coaches of lesser teams saying, you know, hey, if we get burned, we get burned, but let's try and score, or maybe it's just a a side effect of the stand rule and all the changes that come into the game, but. I'd much rather see those types of games. And until the end, you've got to give North Melbourne credit. They still kept trying to move the football. They still kept trying to score. Yep, they were hopelessly outclassed. But the game, at no point did they just say, let's, you know, chuck three or four numbers behind the footy and just make this, you know, and just try and drag this one out. Oh, yeah. Let's just kill the kill the contest. Yeah, we can stop them yeah. from scoring. We've done our job. We're exactly right. They're, they're all, the 666 really, you know, prevents momentum from being stopped. Yeah. So you can't throw those numbers behind the ball that quickly. You, know, you, you need to actually grind the game out to actually get that spare man just in the first place. You can't just strategically set it up. So mm. yeah, you're right. I think it has, it definitely has 
in regards to rules uh, allowed for high scoring footy. But you're right, co- coaches. I think okay, we're, we're in that cycle now that we're seeing, yeah, less dour games. It is high scoring, and I, I think you're completely right there. It's kind of well. Actually, I will preface this in saying that the St Kilda Collingwood game was the lowest scoring game of the round. But the thing that I'm I'm actually very surprised about is the coaches that have come back into the AFL system this year with Brad Scott at Essendon, with Ross Lyon, especially at St Kilda, and Clarkson at North Melbourne, thinking that those clubs, especially taking over teams that were, you know, not tipped to do well and that had a few years of development didn't, before they could... Didn't really stand end. for anything well, either. Yeah, that I think that I thought that those coaches would come in and place, you know, an utmost premium on defensive structures and not giving up scores. And if they, you know, if they kick 10 or 11 goals a game, that would be good for them. But those three teams have been, you know, high scoring. They've, yeah, they've defended well, but they've also attacked and, and taken risks when they've needed to through the middle of the ground. And, uh, and, and I think it's, I think that's great. And I think that's the, the cycle that AFL is going and that even these really experienced coaches, especially Ross Lyon, who has had his coaching style has been built on defend first, that they're, they're, they're willing to attack. It's interesting that you link those three because uh, it does actually make a lot of sense they have sat outside the game for whether it be one to three years, and I think if you are a coach in that system, you can only you as cliche as it sounds, you can only take it one season at a time. You can only really just have a look at and respond to whatever the best team is doing, and then try and match that. Now, um, Brad Scott was head of the AFL while these rule changes came in, so while he's you know, helping implement these. He's having a look going, all right, well, how is this going to look in two to three years' time when mm. clubs get used to it? We saw you know, when the rules came out and how clubs would actually adjust. Same with Clarkson. He, so he was off on sabbaticals for two years, so he's looking. He's gone to a wider range. And Ross Lyon as well. We, we've listened to a lot of Ross Lyon when he was um, doing some media time outside the coaching world. You know he wasn't just trying to think right there in the moment. He's planning ahead. He's thinking ahead. We're gonna, all right, the game's going to look like... No, we, we've seen that dower cycle. Now we're going to see some high-flying footy. That's when... Well, no, that's when Collingwood managed to get the jump on everyone. But that was Craig McRae coming in from out no, outside the system. Yep. No, 100%. So uh, it's been it's been interesting to watch. And it was a, a fun game of footy. I know that the final score blew out. But it was a fun game of footy up there in Mount Barker. And, you know, this has been really good for the Lions. You know, at one and two, especially after they lost to the doggies, there are a lot of alarm bells going off for us because they just did not seem to be gelling as a unit. You know, two weeks later, the win over Collingwood, the win over North Melbourne, they go down to Canberra to face a GWS team that, let's face it, they should beat and they should beat pretty comfortably down in Canberra. We make that four and two and the lines are flying. The percentage... Yeah. Just in the way that they score, percentage is never going to be an issue for them. And I expect that, and why it's great to see St. Kilda and Essendon up the top of the ladder, I think come sort of round 16, round 17, those teams won't be top four teams. I think they'll be... It's not know, sustainable, no. Teams. Look, I'd love to be proven wrong because St. Kilda and Essendon, it's been a lot of fun watching them play in the first five rounds. So... Mm. I think the only way uh, for the Lions is up at the moment, and they they are trending upwards, form into Hipwood. Geez, Dane Zorko's game was very underrated on the weekend. Had twenty two touches, kicked a goal, set about three or four others up, 
was that real perfect link man going forward. And, you know, if the Lions can get 10 or 15 games like that out of Dane Zorko, that's just going to be a massive, you know, chess piece come finals time. His impact. He he looks like... He looks like he's enjoying his footy as well. Like he always yeah. does. But now you and I have both collectively known him for a little while and he knew how much stuff he does you know, off the field for the club, whether it be charity oh, work or you know, all the, all the extra media. Still, and, 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 he, and he still does it. But wearing that weight of the captaincy, just to have it off his shoulders now, it never, it never weighed him down. But uh, certainly now he can just play with the freedom. He can you know, just be a little bit mm-hmm. more selfish about his own personal decision-making and, uh, it's only it's only good for it was never hurting the team, but it's it's only benefiting now. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we also saw Lockie Neal had probably his best game as captain, thirty seven touches. We, yeah, we we saw a lot of blokes stand up and have good games. I I don't think there was anyone that didn't really play all that well. It was good to see Darcy Fort back in the side. I didn't I think he say, would play. Yeah. He ended up uh, being recalled to the side, which was great to see and. Um, he's becoming a really handy, you know, second ruckman. And uh, it would be interesting to see in the long term how long the Lions can actually keep him at the club because I think that Darcy Cameron, uh, Darcy, Darcy Cameron, Darcy Ford has the ability to, you know, hold the number one ruck mantle at another club. Yeah, especially with a club on the rise. and But, but also, mm. yeah, I think it's it's never great to be the, you know, the second banana. But I, I think we are now seeing... A little, a little swing in the game again. We saw Brody Grundy just get killed by the tag team of Sam Draper and um, Andrew Phillips, the second ruckman. I, I think we're moving back towards a two ruck model again. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, the he, he is, could definitely be the, the pinch so hitter. And, and, and yeah, oh, it is. And I, I love the way it evolves. And, well, for blokes that need to be, you know, they're basically the fifth midfielder, uh, and they need to be able to get around and, and be mobile. It's you can either you know, go the way of, you know, like, yeah, you need to be able to be mobile and cover a lot of territory and play, you know, a vast amount of time on the ball. And it's a high intensity role. Um, wherever you line up in that midfield and add to that getting clattered into by, you know, another big unit that's 110 kilos that you need to chop out. And we see it with, we saw it with Jared Witch, you know, two games in a row now with, with general soreness because, you know, the sons have let him ruck, you know, one out and he's done it for a couple of seasons now. And I, I don't think it, it does them any wonders. It, yeah. And it, you could see that it's clearly taken its toll on Jared Witt. Yeah. as worrying there. But also just going back to Darcy Fort, uh, the most mm. important thing is now having a ruckman that can chop down forward and, mm, and kick, forward goals. And kick goals. Uh, we've all, we've all, we've always known that Darcy Fort can kick straight. Does, doesn't kick like the big lumbering ruckman, but yeah, he's you move him forward. He's good for one or two goals. He's good for a, a good strong mark down there, and that's uh, that's a real relief for coaches. Yeah, and you know he's what? Maybe, just, maybe, maybe maybe watch his face. And he's just got this very weird, well, not weird habit, but uh, this this wonderful habit where he just pops up at important times or he's just in the right place at the right time to kick a goal out the back or just take an uncontested mark in the forward 50. Just, uh, I, I don't know if it's just good luck or good positioning or just good reading of the game, but he seems to be that guy that just, that just pops up, pops up in space. 
He's playing the role very well and great to see him back in the side. So going forward, Mm. looking ahead to the week to come, as we said, uh, the Lions down in Canberra on Saturday. That's that twilight game. And the Gold Coast Suns, also twilights on Sunday, Heritage Bank Stadium. They've got the Kangaroos. Kangaroos, like, they have been playing good football. So if there's ever a time for this Suns team to stand up. like and They've really put their backs to the wall now with that loss to Frio. And Frio were in a very similar position. We have to we have to understand that a lot of pressure was on them coming into that game. And mm. when push came to shove, you know, as simple as it sounds, they wanted it more. So now we, we come to a strange little juncture where the Gold Coast Suns, we've been here before, really need a turn on performance. So you're hoping Big Witsy's back in the side. And yeah, can't wait to see. Uh, look, and maybe... Maybe everything turns around. This is a week where Big Ben King kicks seven, but um, oh, they're, they're all up against it, Jack, and uh, it's 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 troubling because someone, one of our listeners, really pointed out we were we were very big on the Suns making finals this year. This was going to be we were, and yeah, it was. And now well, and just, it's, it's it's been five weeks, and I'm so far removed from that stance, a stance that you and I had built up with evidence for a couple of years. And yep. now it's just, it was coming. it's just been, it's just, it's just been ripped out from underneath us. So and that's, that's a frustrating it thing. It's, it's and, and the other like, thing that's very without, sad it's is, without, it's, without, it's without injury. It's not, it's not big injuries. It's not, you know, catastrophic things that can be explained. It's, it's little intangibles. Um, yeah, the thing that is most sad about the Gold Coast Suns form this season is that they, you know, they're one and four. There was a lot of goodwill, especially on the coast around the Suns at the start of the year. And I think a lot of locals believed that this was finally the year and they're starting to build a, a bit of a buzz for their first home game. They had a decent crowd, you know, come in. Now we're three weeks removed from that. Yeah, they had the good, the one good performance against Geelong, but apart from that, they've been pretty rubbish. And we're going to see them play North Melbourne in a twilight fixture on a Sunday night. North Melbourne aren't a high drawing team and... Yeah, for all the hard work that people behind the scenes at the Suns do, this game will be lucky if it draws eight thousand, and that's it's a real sort of kick yeah. in the guts, you know, to to sport on the Gold Coast. And I know it's hard to draw a crowd at the best of times, but at the end of the day, you you reap what you sow if you're the Suns players. And you know, if they were being honest with themselves, they, you know, it, it's hard to expect people to turn up you know, with the performances that they've dished up at the start of this year, especially after the weight of expectation and the anticipation of a good season. So uh, hopefully I'll be down there at Heritage Bank Stadium on Sunday night. You know, I'm really looking forward to seeing if the Suns can turn this around. And, and we'll know, you know, we're day one Suns people. But... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's disappointing, isn't it? I'm trying to be upbeat. I'm trying to be upbeat. Oh, I know, I know. But yeah, look, we've... We've been through this so many times before. So please, Suns, pr- prove us wrong. So, something changes. Just quickly, uh, did you read much into... <laughs> no, I said we wouldn't talk much about Stuart Jew, but him just no, just exiting oblivion, really, just just disappeared post-game. Just uh, sprint off the field. Did you read much into that? Or is that just completely blown up when a man's under pressure? Yeah, I think it is completely blown up. You know, there probably would have been three or four cameras trained on him. Uh, on his every move because he's the bloke that's going to be making the stories over the next couple of weeks as he gets, uh, you know, further entrenched into that coaching hot seat. 
yeah, we all we all feel sorry for Stewie Jew because he he's a passionate guy. He's a he's a wonderful human too, and I don't I haven't met anyone connected with the Gold Coast Suns that's ever said a bad word about him and a bad word about the job that he does. So it's just disappointing that you know the the, the talent that he's got on the park, you know, can't back it up because the guy can obviously coach, and you know has put a hundred percent effort in, and it's just not working at the moment. So. Yeah, I I think it is a bit of a storm in the teacup with with Stewie, you know, yeah. d- disappearing off the ground as, as quickly as he can post match, and he would be hurting. He would be hurting a lot because, you know, he's the oh, one that needs to. You know, it's um, unfortunately, uh, you know, most of the time it's not Ben Ainsworth or Braden Fiorini or Nick Holman that has to sit there and and cop eight minutes of grilling from a journo. It's Stewie Jew that has to when he and he does it and he's had to do it for five or six years and um yeah and, and you could just see him almost that that look of resignation on his face going not again yeah not again not this yeah. how is this happening again so uh, i i really feel for him and uh, it's one of those things that you see a lot of media types where they are like absolute jackals just approaching a wounded carcass of course they are for me for it's me a, it's I've an always, easy it's an easy story for them it is. For me, I've always felt a, a real, really uncomfortable around it because, you know, I know we're in a results-based industry, but this is also a man's job. This is also a man's livelihood. This is, you know, a man's five or six years of a man's hard work. And, oh, yeah. you know, for the, and for that to, you know, sort of be speculated upon to be, you know, picked apart in the media, it would be very hard. I know it. I know he's hard, and everybody has an interest in football. But I think sometimes a lot of media types can become removed that this is actually a, a human being, and that yeah, uh, to to go about it nicely. So. I don't like people going after coaches because we we know with that role, where when someone takes upon a coaching role, it's it's mm. their entire life. Uh, compared to players, players can. Players can switch off. Players are allowed to have some time away. They can just go off and do their own thing. You, you sign up for a, a coaching job. It's about, it's over eleven months where you are just on the whole time. You see, it, it yep. ages them. It changes them. It, it's it's never leave, it's all consuming. So yeah, to have that extra speculation is just yeah, uh, it, it's unfair. It, everyone knows what the Gold Coast Suns have to do. And now we just have to see it done. But it's not, that's what I never liked. Uh, like, I don't know this may contradict things we've said in the past, but I've never liked how uh, when there's something wrong with the team, no matter what sport it is, it's just go, go straight for the, straight for the head, go for the coach. Like, mm, there straight are other the factors. Coach. There are always other factors. Yeah. Yeah. And th- there are a lot, a lot of factors. And sometimes, you know, through uh, whatever it is, you know, the coach, you know, the coach is the one that ends up holding the, the weight of responsibility and I guess that's what you sign up for when you become a, a head coach in the AFL but you know it, it is hard when you see the amount of work that they put in and since the AFL cut the soft cap for football department spending as well you know head coaches and and especially their assistants as well have had to start doing so much more extra stuff oh yeah because we went from having you know assistant coach panels of five or six or seven assistant coaches down to you know a panel of three or four and it's and it goes oh you know like you know five blokes to be professional coaches at a football club but when you're safeguarding the development of 
you know, 40 to 45 young men who all need individual time and effort, uh, not to mention you're trying to set up a, a very intricate high-performance program. It is so much work. It is, and it's actually, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I had uh, Simon Black, who was assistant coach at the Lions for a while. And the, the amount of work that they would do, like, yeah, assistant coach, you're the line coach. These are the 10 blokes that you work up, you know, look after. All right, games played on the Saturday. You're up early on Sunday morning and you're spending, you know, 10 hours at a laptop coding individual pieces of play, you know, in, in the replay of the game footage going, all right, yep, all right, this bloke took a mark here. Yep, I'm coding that. Yeah, doing so much extra administrative work on top of yeah. the nine to five, coming into the club, training, coaching these guys, that it's so much happens behind the scenes that we're not we're not privy to. And it's not, you know, like old no. mate coming out of the local football club and sharing some gens of wisdom and getting paid for it. It's it's more than a full time job. It's a life, as you said. Yeah, it's an it's an entire life. So um yeah, let's take uh, let's take a bit of pressure off Stewie Jew, and we the good thing is we've seen this, um, some pressure taken off uh, Chris Fagan as well in the last couple of weeks, which is really nice to see. Jack, that'll do us uh, for the Monday review. Uh, team list Thursday. Asterix. We'll be, wrap it up. We'll wrap it up right there, and we'll see you on Thursday. Don't forget to like, rate, review, subscribe on any of our platforms because we are just everywhere right now. We're coming for you, all you other podcasts. We've already got Queensland on lock. I repeat, Queensland on lock now. Northern exposure. We're drifting south. We're going further north. I don't care. This podcast is going global, baby. We're going to the moon. We're going to the moon. We're just going to become exposure. We're going to be like the dolphins in RL. We're not going to have any area. We're just exposure. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we're just exposure. I love the exposure. Well done, Jacko. Well done. We'll see you on Thursday.